Western and Southern Financial Group. Put our financial strength behind you. It's easy to get started. Visit westernsouthern.com. Now batting, number one in our hearts. At least he'd like to think so. It's the Jim Day Podcast. All right, here we be. It's the Jim Day Podcast. Wherever you are, wherever you're hanging out, thanks for clicking on us. Thanks for the download. And we're welcoming in someone today that is now, I proudly call him, colleague. And he is new to the Reds television network, we'll call it. Valley Sports Ohio, to be more official. And that would be John Sadak. How are we doing? I am great. I, I've always seen your palatial estate, your executive <laughs> here, office here studio from afar. There we go. Inside of it, you know, on the throne is its own piece of wonder. Why is everyone fascinated with this? We're, by the way, we're recording this in the downtown studio offices. And this is just where they put me because it's, it, you want to know the truth, it's the farthest away from everyone else. And they know that I'm loud. And I think they put me here because. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted some separation from me. You also got the window. You got the city view. <laughs> you're right next to the studio. You're closest to the bathroom. I, you got the executive office, as you no. should. As you should. No. The, the, the reason is, is it is closest to the studio. And the original plans were to have me broadcast from here. So, In this office? In this office. Oh, I did So there's that. the real reason. Okay. And now I'm just stuck here away <laughs> away from everyone else with the windows. So if you just if you're coming by the twenty second floor, I don't know, flying by or something. There's fresh cut pineapple. <laughs> there are helpers with palm fronds that fan us occasionally when needed. <laughs> oh. Let's start from the beginning, John. Where is John Sadak from? Where were you born? So by the way, this is going to be good for me because we've gotten to know each other a lot and we've talked a lot. Obviously, we work together and spend a lot of hours together, but I don't truly know you yet. So this is going to be good for me, too. Like, I don't have any idea where you were born. This could be a scary experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was born in New York City. Uh, my family is all from New York, from uh, my mom's side, from the Highbridge area of the Bronx, right by Yankee Stadium. My dad began his childhood there and then they moved to Yonkers. Uh, so my mom was still working at a hospital uh, very close to Yankee Stadium, and I was born at the hospital she worked at. Uh, but they lived already in northern New Jersey, a town called Edgewater, which is right next to the George Washington Bridge. Yeah. Um, so that's where I lived uh, through the almost the end of third grade. That was most of my early formative childhood memories. And then we moved down the shore, uh, as they say in the New Jersey vernacular, not to the beach, down the shore, to Brick, New Jersey, uh, Adjacent to Tom's River, home of, of Todd Frazier. There you uh, go, yeah. And uh, that's where I was uh, through my high school days. Very nice. So you say that you, do you say you're from the Bronx? Do you say you're from New York? Do you say you're from New Jersey? I would, well, to be honest, these days I say I'm from Delaware because I've lived there for the last 15 years. Yeah. That's where our daughter was born. I say that I grew up in New Jersey 
and I've lived in Delaware for the last 15 years before moving to Cincinnati. But you could sound tougher if you say I was born in the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I suppose. Technically, I was actually born in Manhattan. It was the very ah, upper reaches of okay. Manhattan. There you go. So every time I hear Manhattan, though, I think of the Muppets and the you know the Muppets in Manhattan, Gil and Phil and, and Kermit. <laughs> Kermit Deep Rock. That's pretty good. <laughs> that was just off the top of my head, actually. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. So you got you're a Yankees fan, which uh, makes you very spoiled. Well, I was a Yankees fan. <laughs> I, I now work for the Cincinnati Reds, so I have a new baseball team. But yes, right. I, I grew up. I grew up Yankees, Knicks, Rangers, Giants. Those were my my teams of, of fandom and pro sports growing up. Now, what's the the? Was it because you were so close to the Giants? I mean, there's this big choice: Are you Yankees? Are you Mets? Are you Giants? Are you Jets? So, was it family? Influence overwhelmingly yes yeah. yeah you know but my uncle my mom's brother was a Mets fan so I actually went to Mets games as a kid with him I, I saw a doubleheader against the Padres Daryl Strawberry homered in both games um, and to be honest in the most impressionable days of my youth the Mets were better you know the Yankees were good but not great for right. most of the eighties their right. great years I was two and three years old so right. I, I don't really remember them um, but yeah my my family. Uh, you know, my, my mom's family was literally blocks from Yankee Stadium. And then while my dad was living in Yonkers by his teenage years, my great uncle Jimmy owned a bar that all the umpires used to go to from Yankee Stadium. Hey, it's called Uncle Jimmy's Bar. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a place called The Melody in Inwood in Upper Manhattan, uh, which is very close. And uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I grew up going to games. My, my dad was a season ticket holder in 77 and 78. Um, my first childhood memory is being on my dad's shoulders at Dave Rigetti's no-hitter, 4th of July, 83. Oh, wow, cool. Struck out Wade Boggs yeah. for the final out. Very nice. Now, were you? did you have the pipes back then? Uh, definitely not. Did you no. come out of the womb saying, <laughs> hey, how you doing? Welcome, world. To be honest, my, my <laughs> father has a very New York-accented voice. He can't say the word three. It's tree. Uh, but his voice is far more powerful and resonant than mine. And what? I never, I never I don't know met. If that's possible. Oh, it's, I mean, it scared the heck out of me for most of my youth. <laughs> <laughs> and, and his dad, uh, his dad was six, four, you know, had served in world war II. Oh, uh, was wow. a very rough and tumble Eastern European guy, mm -hmm. uh, who I never met. He passed before I was born. And I've been told that he was even uh, of greater stature and more imposing. Right. And then, you know, here I am just kind of a doughy play-by-play -play guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> Did you always – was it a, your dream to be a broadcaster or even more specifically to be a play-by-play -play guy? No. Uh, I mean, when I was really young, I can crystal remember asking my mom, uh, how do the calendars work? This is when I was like five years old. Uh, is anybody a pro football, baseball, and basketball player? Because I'd like to play all three professionally um and you know she got to tap me on the head like no you don't have to worry about that you're gonna be okay yeah. uh but yeah i mean to make my, it to one is tough <laughs> to do the idea of playing was my first you know thought and by the time i was six seven years old just playing rec league ball i loved playing i knew i was not good um I, I wanted to work in math and science that's where I excelled you know I, I played JV hockey in high school I played rec league basketball rec league football rec league everything and I was a below average to terrible player in most uh but the only varsity letter I had at high school was on math team and 
So I, I always thought that's what I wanted to do. I, I have an aunt, my father's sister, uh, worked on the original Mars rover. And uh, she was an electrical engineer, and her husband was a mechanical engineer. Um, so I, I thought I wanted to be an engineer. And then I took an electricity class in high school, and I aced all the tests. But when it came to actually building something, like something as simple as a light dimmer switch, I mean, that doesn't work to this day. <laughs> I, I, was, I have no mechanical aptitude. I cannot fix anything. Like, eh, engineering's probably a bad idea if I can't do some basic freshman year in high school project. Um, and then I thought physics. I loved physics. I loved space. I, I still do. Um, and so I, I read about it constantly. And that's what I thought I wanted to do when I took my SAT. And yeah, you, you can have it at the time, at least you could put down three majors of choice so that your scores are sent to every school in America and schools that have those specific programs. If your score lines up with what they want, they send you letters. Right. I only put down one major. I just put down astrophysics and, uh, and I got a lot of letters and, uh, but the more I investigated the job, and this is pre-internet, you know, I was a senior in high school class in 96, I'm reading these like giant like phone book catalogs of, of job descriptions and of colleges as well. And the job description for astrophysicists, the more I investigated, you didn't make great money, but you had to get a terminal degree. You have to get a doctorate. You're going to be in school forever. So you're going to come out with some form of debt, no matter what scholarship help you get. And uh, it's going to take a while to be made whole. And you don't do the nerdy research stuff that I thought I wanted to do. You're basically begging for money, looking for grant funding, you're side hustling at an observatory, or a lot of the times you're teaching. And so the idea of, so for a sliver of every three or five years, I'd be part of a team doing an answer. It didn't make sense. And I, I was so driven my whole life. I was rudderless. This was my senior year of high school. I came to this realization. And uh, I only stumbled upon sports because of a, a history project in high school. Really? I wow. was I was in my AP history class, and uh, it was a little bit of butt-kissing to the teacher because I, I knew some of the, the things that he liked. And we had to do a presentation on something related to uh, the last hundred years of America. And so my choice was I was going to explore um, whether uh, Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier was representative of America at the time or if it ushered in and influenced the change of America at the time. And the, the seminal research piece in that presentation was the Sports Illustrated when Arthur Ashe was named Sportsman of the Year mm -hmm. um, and what he went through in his life on the tennis right. tour. And he referenced Jackie a lot. Um, it was a great piece. Uh, by coincidence, because I discovered this issue that was already at the time four years old, and had a physical hard copy in our high school library, there happened to be this big spread on ESPN Sports Center, which at the time was becoming a major pop cultural phenomenon. And I loved Sports Center. It would be on in our homeroom in high school. And me and my friends, it would be kind of a test to see who could memorize the catchphrases or how many points Jordan had or uh, what highlight is going to be third because uh, they would usually roll it you know, every right. half hour. And, um, and I started reading about all the other jobs that existed beyond the announcer. Who's the director? What do they do? What's the graphics person do? And then there was a sidebar column that included a lot about the production assistant. Lowest rung on the totem pole, making no money, hustling your butt off, working 80-hour weeks. And that was my aha moment. I said, I know I can do that job, 
And I know I can get that job. I could realize even then that nobody stays in that job for an appreciable amount of time. You move up or you get out. So if I just knock on the door long enough, it, it might take until I'm 23, 25, whatever. I can get in. Right. And if I can get in, then I can move up. And my dream would be to be on air, but I would readily love just to work covering sports, whether I'm a camera person or a producer or an associate director, whatever. I just want to be part of it in some way. And that's when I decided that's what I wanted to do. Wow. That's interesting. Well, you and I have a lot in common, the space thing, but we have a lot not in common as well, because I got into broadcasting to avoid the math classes, (laughs) (laughs) the tough ones at least. I mean, I just fully admit it. I looked at the curriculum. I'm like, there is no way I'm surviving in that algebra class. Physics, no chance. This, no way. So... Like, oh, communications. Oh, beautiful. Just the basic math classes. <laughs> yes, I'm in. So, I, you know, I've often said that uh, I was told that math was not part of this gig, and sometimes it, it comes in. But you, that much into math? I loved math. I mean, math was fun to me. Um, oh, it, my goodness. Yeah. It was fun to you. I would ask my mom uh, to create a, a handwritten sheet of however many she could make of, uh, you know, when I was super young, it was addition and subtraction, and then later was multiplication and division. And, and then you know, she and my grandmother would buy me books to just try to solve problems. And uh, I loved it. I, as it got more advanced, my, my love did wane a bit, and I think that also opened that door. Um, I loved algebra. I loved the initial stage of calc. As calc got more advanced and into some of the statistics oh, stuff, calculus. It, was, it was a little... Uh, it, it was not as engaging. It, it felt more rote. So. <laughs> you said calculus. It sent a shiver up my spine. Uh, no chance. No chance at that. But, you know, I've never been the smartest guy in the room. And I'm certainly not the smartest guy in this room right now. You have upped the IQ of this podcast. So congratulations on that. Well, that's that's hardly true. I was an alternate on the math team. I was not a starter. <laughs> it doesn't Kelly matter. Kelly Knapp kicked my butt. You were on the. <laughs> you go through the archives of this podcast, and I want you to p- pick out one person that was even an alternate on the math team. I don't think there's going to be one. I bet you Joey Votto could do it if he you wanted to. You know what? I <laughs> You're right. <laughs> he could probably do about anything he puts his mind to. You're yeah. right. He probably would. And Yeah. I could see him mastering that as well. Very interesting stuff. Now, who'd you say worked on the... It's, it's odd because in the last two weeks, I literally just watched a documentary on the, the first Mars rover. You had a family member that worked on that? Yeah, my Aunt Kathy, um, n- not directly for NASA, but yeah. with a third-party company right. that was subcontracted. Yeah, it's always, yeah. A, it's always a third-party company that's subcontracted on that thing. So that, that's, uh, that's very interesting to me. I'm always, I've always been a space nerd. Since uh, as long as I can remember, um, I am completely fascinated with Mercury and Apollo and Gemini that whole time, just the, the especially the 60s of what it took to get to the moon and how many people it took over 400,000 people. And if we could all just come together as a country and just use that as an example of one common goal, even though a lot of people thought we spent too much money, et cetera. Um, have you watched the Apple TV series? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. About what if the the Russians? What had if the Russians first? had gotten there first? Yeah. Oh, fantastic! Oh, yeah. No, no, it's fa- it's fascinating. I've watched about everything. Uh, my wife gets sick of me because I have on our DVR. I have things that are just you just don't delete. 
I've literally watched 50 times this, the, you know, the, this Apollo mission and this Apollo mission. I listen to podcasts that are actually one day I was just listening to just the audio of Apollo 11. Like they have this website that's literally the time of day. And it's literally the audio from that time of day, just on out I, of Houston and, and of from Houston, everything. Sh- wow! Just every, but it, but it's raw, and sometimes it's you know, it's, it's like turn that down, turn that down. I'm like, I'm just I'm just listening to history, just listening. So I'm a total nerd about this. So um, I love that you love space, but the Star Wars thing. Now you are a Star Wars. Would I call you a fanatic, or would I call you just? I'm a, I'm a Star Wars fan. Yeah, yeah I, I I would be bested in the trivia contest. Oh no, very I don't easily. mean like that. Yeah, um, but I really I I love the movies. I loved the uh, the whole extended literary universe that now is non-canon and you know doesn't yeah. exist anymore. But the, the Thrawn series by Timothy Zahn, um, you know Mara Jade and Grand Admiral Thrawn, and I mean that was right in my wheelhouse. That was I was in middle school going into high school when those books came out, and I I ate them up. I I love them. What's your favorite movie? I'm an Empire guy. Yeah, I think I'll always be Empire. Uh, I, I think that's... That's most people's choice, yeah. Empire Strikes Back. It's the cleanest Which is story. episode what? Which actually confuses the heck out of people. Five. Five, yes. Yeah. It very much confuses people. Because they're it, like, where do I start? Hold on. The first movie's not number one? What? <laughs> I don't get it. So it confuses people. Yeah, that's... Uh, well, there's also a major push from some... Uh, of the the fans of the series that it should be first viewed in a certain order and actually that's something we haven't I I don't know if you got an update on it what order was TJ Antone told to watch it because Doolittle was supposed to tell him right but I I know C Trent has his own like diehard I think it's in his Twitter bio uh, his hard line the way it should be viewed and there are many who have that that point of view yeah what is your point of view which I don't think it matters. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I would probably go original trilogy. Yeah. That's what I tried with our daughter, who was kind of into A New Hope. And then we started Empire, and she just, I lost her. So <laughs> we're going to revisit it again, give it a couple of years, and see see how it goes. She, for those that don't know, The New Hope's number, well, it's four, actually, but the, the first original. one. The original. Yes. yes. Which, again, it confuses people. <laughs> it's the original, but it's episode four. So... You have a yeah. favorite character? Ooh, favorite character. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to go wrong with with Luke and Vader. Um, yeah. I did love Ewan McGregor's portrayal of Kenobi, and uh, and the, the the word is that you know he's doing a series. Yeah. So I, I I'm very eager to see that. I thought he was excellent as Obi Wan, and uh, uh, but yeah, I mean. I'm gonna go old school. It's 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 Luke and Vader. I mean, that's right. that's the whole story. That's what it's about. Yeah, no doubt. How about the Mandalorian? Are you into that? I I love that. I love the Mandalorian. Really good. The 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 moodiness of the music. It, it's, yeah. It it purely embraced what Star Wars originally was. I mean, Star Wars was a space western with a lot of heavy samurai Kurosawa influence. Right. And that's exactly what the Mandalorian is without really being that much at all about Jedi that it's kind of in there, but it's, it's really more about the, the mood. And, uh, uh, I, I think it's incredibly well-written and mm-hmm. executed and it, it achieves it with minimal 
highly expensive special effects. It shows right. the power of compelling storytelling. Yeah, no doubt about it. Although they killed off, uh, <laughs> I can't, uh, who am I thinking of? The little dude with the goggles, and you say, I have spoken. Um, I can't remember his name. Yeah. They killed him off. That was upsetting. I really liked him. I mean, there could be people listening that haven't watched yet. Oh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, I didn't give his name. I just said the little dude with the goggles. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Very sorry. I, I, you know, I have done that before, by the way. And I've, uh, I'm one of those guys that will be like, oh, I'll hear something. I'm like, stop, I've, I've got to record it. I just haven't watched it yet. Stop it. So I want to get back to pop culture later because you are a pop culture phenomenon here. Uh, fan, aficionado. <laughs> uh, I knew you were going to yeah. correct me. <laughs> but I want to talk about uh, some baseball here. Sure. Where you uh, And sports in general. Because I didn't, I came up, you know, a different way to where I am now. I didn't have to go through the minors, although, you know, some of the jobs you could, that I had, you could consider minor league, but, uh, I, it just fascinates me. The guys that come up through the minor leagues and working all the sports, how many sports have you called? Has it just been baseball, football, basketball, or has it been more than that? A lot more. Um, I mean, and some of them are one-offs, so it's not yeah. like I'm like an expert or great at any of them, but I've, I've done uh, hockey, uh, ice hockey, field hockey, volleyball, water polo, um, roller hockey. Uh, I'm struggling to think of what else, but it's... But yeah, you were going to say roller derby. Oh, that that would, been. I would love that, actually. <laughs> that would be really cool. <laughs> I would I, I'd love I, I know we also share an affinity for I would love to call pro wrestling. I think that would be amazing. That would be next level fantastic. I've never done it. Yeah. Well, they've been going through announcers here recently. Well, WWE I, has. I got a good job right now, so I'm <laughs> I'm pretty happy. <laughs> I, I actually thought about I'm like uh, some of these guys are rolling through there. I know wrestling more than this dude right here. I should, <laughs> I should give it a crack. But I would like to be the heel announcer. Yeah. I want to be like Jesse the Body Ventura, who's taking the side of the bat. Although in today's wrestling, it's not like good guy, bad guy anymore. No, it's, it's all shades of gray. It's kind of shades of gray, so you can't. You know, he would always take the bad guy's side. I don't know, you know, well, this guy's being a jerk. What's he, you know, I would love to be that guy. But um, we do share that. By the way, let's just, I, I love getting off on tangents because you never know where these conversations are going to go. Give me a Mount Rushmore of wrestling. Wrestlers. Ooh. This uh, is a tough question. So we're going four then. We're going pure Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Which is, three is easy for me, I think, but. I shouldn't say easy, but it just depends on how much you think of way back of who should be on it. Yeah, I mean, or I, you're like when it really got popular. I I don't know that I could do it appropriately for the entire institution because yeah. then you know, like a Bruno San Martino probably right. has to there's be on the, there. There's the big question: Does he go on there, or does someone? To me, there's three guys that are, or four guys that have to be on. There. Well, Flair's got to be on there. Flair's got to be on there. Yes. Um, I would say now I know he's he can be divisive within the actual wrestlers community. Hogan's got to be on there. Yes, I mean it. Just that that was that was my generation. That was when it uh, that was when it transcended just wrestling fans. Yes, no doubt about it. Um, 
And beyond that, I Stone Cold, I thought, did take it to that next level. He's got to be on there. Uh, now, the fourth one is like, I there's like a handful of guys. There's one that probably, it's the same era as Stone Cold. but I would say probably The Rock because yeah. he transitioned into mainstream entertainment. Exactly. Right. Um, but, you know, like for me, you know, I loved Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Like he was... That yeah. was my dude. The Intercontinental title was what I was into even more than the, yeah. the heavyweight matches with Flair. Yes, that were um, not the Intercontinental title, but was with WCW, WCW yeah. or NW, NWA back then. Right, uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling, World Championship Wrestling. Uh, those matches were just epic. I mean, the best of all time. But uh, it's it's tough to come up with that fourth one are you going to put bruno san martino in there where's the undertaker fit mm -hmm. uh there's guys like Shawn michael john cena who was another transit transcending guy so you know interesting conversation there but we're, we're right in line that's the four that i would uh put up there although my favorite of all time the american dream dusty rose has to be in the sense as well he is he is elite. I, I, if I can share with you, there's one childhood memory that still resonates for me. So my dad took me to my first match at the Meadowlands in North Jersey, and the highlight or the headline match it was supposed to be JYD Junkyard Dog, and I love Junkyard Dog. I love Junkyard Dog and British Bulldogs were like the the toys that I would play with the most, and the, you know those oversized plastic oh, yeah. wrestlers, and. Uh, so we, we sit through the undercard and like the Brooklyn Brawler was there and you know it was okay and the Brooklyn you know <laughs> I liked it you know but it Brooklyn was Brooklyn Brawler he's about to get his butt kicked in about three minutes yes here. <laughs> yeah uh, Kamala I think was there um, and then we get to the main event and it's supposed to be JYD and they announce right before the main event oh, starts. No. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we apologize, but Junkyard Dog was unavailable tonight. So instead, it was oh. Coco Beware, oh. who, you know, was okay. And, okay, but he's not JYD. And once he became more established, it yeah. would have been easier. I had never heard of him. And then this dude walks in with sunglasses on with a parrot <laughs> who's like a third of the size of the Junkyard Dog. And I'm looking <laughs> at my dad like, could we get our money back? <laughs> Do you remember uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling when they did it in the studio in Atlanta? There was like two or three rows of people. Do you remember those shows at all, vaguely? I actually wind up watching some of them on YouTube. Yeah. More than I, I remember I attended. Lying. Get out of here. I attended there. With, this is back when Gordon Soley was calling it. Wow. Oh, it was unbelievable. It's, in a, it's the old studios of Turner in Atlanta, and it was in the basement. And it was, you go down there and it's really small and there's like two or three rows of seats and it's on a Saturday morning. They taped it Saturday morning and it was awesome. I mean, just seeing the, the those guys come out, Ric Flair coming out to the, the podium and just seeing it behind the scenes. And I'm trying to, you know, get on camera wherever I could. I knew <laughs> there were camera angles because I was a nerd like that. So I'm trying to get on camera. So. That was a great experience. How'd we get off on this wrestling tangent? <laughs> I love it. I meant to talk to you about baseball, and here we are talking about wrestling. Oh, well. That's the way it goes on this podcast. So you told me one time, of all the sports you've done, you've had 200 color analysts that you think? it's Yeah, I, I'd have to like really put, sit down and take the time to do a list. But yeah, I, I would say it's at least that many. Yeah. <laughs> oh 
goodness. I mean, because I, I was doing 200 to 230 events a year for well over 10 years. And a lot of it was one-off stuff, you know, with a certain network or rights holder or local whatever. Um, you know, there was one high school girls lacrosse game. There was another high school boys lacrosse game. There was one Division II football playoff game. and So there were a lot of partners I worked with, literally one and done, and, and yeah. we never spoke again. Um, not that we had a bad experience, right. it's just that, you know, it's just the nature of the business. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I would say it's at least that many. It, uh, having done at least one broadcast with, yeah, probably over 200 people. Goodness gracious. Now, how do you handle this? Because you're doing basketball at the same time that you were doing I mean, they kind of run together. So, yeah. uh, and I've, this is, I'm going to give you the ultimate compliment. I have never seen anyone prepare like you do. The research that you do is unbelievable to me. I'm like, where do you get that? Where do you get that from? And I know it's hours and hours of preparation. It's the, you know, you get in what you put out or you take out what you put in. See, I told you I wasn't the smartest guy. In the world. Uh, <laughs> Have you always been that way? Were, even when you were doing these smaller events, were you always... And it's much harder when you're doing these uh, other events. You can't just log on to the internet and look up stuff on some high school team or whatever. Were you always doing this research? Uh, as I grew as an announcer, yes. When I was a collegiate announcer, when I was first doing play-by-play, um, I, I think I got fairly good for my age level, uh, which was still not good. If I go back and listen to those tapes, I cringe. But, you know, compared to my peers, at least at my school, mechanically. Uh, but nobody really taught me how to prepare. I taught myself as the years went on. So when I first started, I would say no. Um, and then my first year really doing minor league baseball is what taught it to me the most. Mostly because for, for those of us that come up through the minors, you doubled as the PR guy. Yeah. So I'm a seasonal number two voice intern. The innings you get are the middle three innings of only home games. And that's kind of the carrot they dangle to like, hey, do you want to work for like basically no money and give up your life for an entire <laughs> year? And, and then you gladly jump at it because, yes, of course I do. Yes. Um, I, I took a major pay cut from a, a Division two uh, conference SID role in greater Atlanta. I had a very nice apartment. I was making a very comfortable living. I had just finished graduate school, but I wanted to be an announcer. And so I, I took a gig for 1200 bucks a month before taxes, living in my aunt's basement to save on money. Um, and I had to do half the game notes every day. You know, and it was my job to help interact with players for other media requests. And, and, and there with those people and under those circumstances, that began my awareness and training for like what you really should be doing right. uh, to do a, a game right. And I, I'm still growing in that way. I, I, I Every year... Well, there's no more growth. <laughs> <laughs> you're making us all look bad, John. <laughs> Can I just say that? You're, you're, no, I'm kidding. Uh, it's fantastic. It's it's fantastic, the, the research that you bring and the, the knowledge that you bring. I, I've been very, very impressed. Now, give us... The Cliff Notes version, because I know it's a long list. What was the path of, I went to this job and I got this job, and not not necessarily the one and dones or whatever, but the big ones that really led, this one led to this one, this one led to this one. Yeah, so the, the big jumps were, I started with the Wilmington Blue Rocks. Mm -hmm. uh, they were Royals Club as their number two announcer. The next year I was in the front office of the New York Yankees in a non-broadcast capacity. Uh, my job was more administration of broadcast. Um, then I went back to the Blue Rocks as the lead announcer. My predecessor had left. Um, and then I was there for about, uh, that was what, 2006 
through the end of the 2012 season. Uh, while I was there, I did Delaware women's basketball, Princeton men's basketball simultaneously. I picked up some Division II football on regional television. That led to me getting some reps at ESPN. Um, and get, getting in there doing some stuff. Uh, then the AAA Yankees job opened, and some of the people I met when I was in the Yankee front office helped facilitate my, my transition there. Um, and I was there for five years. During that time, I moved from ESPN over to CBS, did a little bit of stuff with Fox. Um, and then after five years of working 200-something events a year, we had a child. And uh, so the, the hardest part was my last year in Scranton, Yankees AAA, uh, we hosted the AAA championship game. Uh, the team had won it the year before. That year they lost in their league final, so they weren't actually playing in it. It was Durham, the uh, Tampa Bay Rays team, against Memphis, the uh, Cardinals team. And after that game, I drove home, and I hadn't been home in three and a half weeks uh, because of I had overlapping football and all this other stuff. And my daughter was in the car going to pre-K in the back of my wife's minivan, and uh, I leaned in to kiss her goodbye, and she put a hand on each cheek and yanked my face right up to hers, nose to nose, and said, Dad, be home more. And that just, oh, that crippled me. Oh, wow. I mean, it, it, it makes me emotional still thinking about it. And, uh, and I put my notice in the next day that it was hard to validate. I was working, you know, fairly good schedule between Westwood One Radio and CBS TV, and I made way more money doing that than I did the minor league baseball, which took up way more of my time. And... Uh, so my dream was still to call Major League Baseball, but I, I, I'd done minor league baseball at that point for 15 years. It was too much. Um, so I left that gig, and then I just focused on my national work until the Reds opportunity came up. All right, I hope you're enjoying our conversation with John Sadak, and we'll have more with John after this message from Western and Southern Financial Group. Life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Did you ever think that the opportunity would never happen? Uh, yeah. Because uh, I'd been close on several others uh, in Major League Baseball and in the NBA. Uh, really, really close. And every time I knew a major influencer, decision maker, that was my advocate. That was my champion. So beyond, you know, it, it's not about being good enough for most of them. It's more right place, right time. That cliche is so true. It's a lot of circumstantial stuff you can't anticipate mm -hmm. or try to, you know, coach up in any way. It just is what it is. Um, and I was so crestfallen because each of those times I was convinced that if I didn't have it, like I have a great shot at it. And every time I didn't get it. And it's odd because you would think with repeated exposures to being that close right on the edge, you would feel emboldened and strengthened. And I found for me it did the opposite. I started to increasingly look at my age against the grain of people who get these jobs. And every passing year I said, all right, I'm still hireable now, but – to be honest, the magic number in my head was 50, that, you know, I'm now 42. I said to myself, if I get to age 50 and I haven't achieved one of these jobs yet, I'm probably just not going to get one because most teams and organizations that hire for them, they want to hire someone that they don't have to worry about for an appreciable amount of time. There's value in that. Um, so I could kind of hear that clock ticking and, 
And I also thought similarly, you know, my, my national work with CBS and Westwood, which I loved, the reality is my bosses, for the most part, you look at the age gap between me and them, before I want to be done working, they're going to leave. They're going to be fired. They're going to lose rights to something. They're going to die. I mean, it's just that's just reality. Right. Um, so my thought was, if I don't get one of these jobs, then I need to pivot. I need to have something else. Not that I'm going to stop broadcasting. I love what I do. Uh, but the reality is I have to work until I'm at least 65 or 70 years old. So what am I going to do right. before that decision is made for me, before mm-hmm. I have to totally uh, redirect myself when I'm not that employable to do something different in my 60s? Um, so th- I, I started looking at that. I, I spoke with a guy that was my partner when I did Delaware Women's Basketball that ran his own financial planning company. I, I bought the books to study for the Series 7 and whatever. Exam- it was boring as heck. It was a, a noble profession. It's something people need. It's just a – sorry, as I whack your microphone. It's, a, it's just a matter of, like, who they get it from, and I just – I knew it wasn't for me. Um, and so my, my thought was I would eventually transition into some form of student media advisement that I could still announce and uh, they would want me to announce because I'd be in the field and I could help with internships and, and be front-facing for a university in some way. Uh, and I would teach the next generation. Um, and with every passing year, I thought, it's not happening. Like, I want it to happen and I'm still going to try. I'm not giving up. But yeah, I... I I, I had many deep talks with my wife and my best friend from high school and my agent. Um, just like I, I, I really don't think it's going to happen. Well, it did, my friend. It did. And it it, it so, did. I still can't believe that I'm sitting here in this room with you right now. I mean, first of all, the wine is fantastic, <laughs> but also. <laughs> I can't believe these jobs are. I didn't know you like Boone's Farm. (laughs) (laughs) Got some Mad Dog 2020 over there. Pepperidge Farm remembers. (laughs) (laughs) Has it been what you expected? Uh, Better. Uh, Better, really? Better, yes. Yes. In what ways? Um, It's so invigorating to do games every day. That people care about, yeah. you know, working nationally gives you a taste of that to some extent too. But you don't, you're you're not dealing directly with the fan bases in the right. same way. So it's it's a little more detached. You, you just know. have them part time for that night. You, you you're know. kind of parachuting in. You're, yeah. you're you're doing a ton of research. You're invested. You care. But then it's on to the next game. Then you're back home. Yeah. Where this is a way of life. You know, this is this is what I hope to do until I. I die and they drag my carcass out of the booth, you know, like I, I love doing this. And, and to me, that's one of the biggest differences between major league baseball and the minors. And I loved calling minor league baseball. It's a great training ground, but the games don't have that same heft in any right. way. You know, it's the right. import, even if your team is bad and they're losing or they're great, it doesn't matter. Every game matters. Right. The plays matter. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. I wish you got to experience the real opening day at Cincinnati. And I hope next year, fingers crossed, that we get a parade, we get just all the festivities, we get a full house. I just hope it happens. However, until you experience that, what was opening day like? First of all, you had that red jacket on. It was like, wow, check him out. He's in that bright red jacket there. I walked in, I'm like, oh, who's what Reds Hall of Famer is in here? Oh, it's John. <laughs> So you're in a major league booth. It's opening day, and your broadcast partner is a Hall of Famer, Barry Larkin. Did you have to take a moment? Was there any moment where you're like, wow, 
Oh, yeah, like pretty much the whole day. I mean, it. it's probably, uh, and I think maybe you would share this, I would akin it most closely to my wedding day. And those cliches about how the day goes so fast, oh, make yeah. sure you take the time. Like, yeah. It was almost a carbon copy like that, you know, and that same, you know, heartbeat flutter and that sense of affection and love, you know, in this case for a vocation and a sport that I, I've adored from, you know, uh, childhood, even though I didn't want to be an announcer, I didn't want to be an announcer in, in large part because I didn't think it was attainable. I, I didn't think that was a realistic goal. Um, but I, I always loved watching the announcers. I loved the the drama that they could set up and deliver. Um, you know, both the the local guys in the greater New York area and and the national voices. Um, yeah, it was. It didn't really set in. I, I, I almost had an out-of-body kind of you know experience with it until I started getting flooded with text messages and emails from friends that were sending screenshots of me alongside Barry Larkin. Right. And kind of seeing it third person that way was yeah. like, holy cow, this is really happening. <laughs> <laughs> when did you realize, was it like the second broadcast where you realized, like, this is so cool doing games with Barry, but the rest of the crew... God, these guys are nerds. <laughs> it was really, I mean, my goal the entire time has been on to be on the Gym Day podcast. Oh, I mean, that was, that was from right, You're already on it. You don't have to butter me up. You're already here. <laughs> we have a great crew. I mean, and that's, that's one of the other things that I get spoiled with um, in a good way. Uh, because even working nationally, it can vary wildly, city yeah. to city. Oh, yeah. How many games are going on that night? You know, yeah. you have some great crews and awesome people, and then sometimes there's a there's a weak link in some way that right. you know everybody. And this is more for the truck, but then even as the announcer, you can notice or it impacts the game in some way. And and uh, our crew is not only sensational at what they do, you know, in the the detail of of how they cover the game and their working knowledge and immediate, you know, frame of reference for right. how things shape up. But th they get along. Like, you know, we can give each other crap and, you know, we can have fun with each other. And, and I love that. I love that it is a, a sense of family. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you went from buttering me up to talking about the weak link. Like, right away. I just, it's very hurtful that we went that quickly. Um. What do you think? I ask this with all due respect, um, but Northeast people have this reputation of maybe being a little harder edged. Cincinnati's kind of laid back, you know. It's Midwest. So, what were your what are your impressions of the town? I I love Cincinnati. It uh it actually feels a lot like Delaware. Um, Yes, the great, especially northern New Jersey, where the first part of my childhood was. Yeah. I mean, that is that's what it is. It's it's an extension of New York City. Right. It's, it's head down. I'm going where I'm going, and it's it's not with any like injurious, you know. Yeah, no, I don't. I like I said, I mean it with all due respect. But it's, it's just a different. It's different very area. matter of fact. I mean, mm -hmm. um, you know, when I first moved to and lived in Atlanta, uh, six of the eight people in my unit in the apartment complex were from the greater New York, New Jersey area. So that felt somewhat similar. But I'd find myself walking around and people would just say hello. And somebody, I mean, something that sounds so simple. To me, when somebody I don't know engages me that way on the street, I immediately get defensive. Like, what's your angle? Is there somebody else? Why I start looking around. Like, I, I don't think I should respond. They're just saying hello. They're just yeah. saying good morning. Yeah, right. it's, there's no other purpose to just being nice. Um, 
And that took a while <laughs> to get no used to. purpose. <laughs> <laughs> but when I moved to Delaware, Delaware and Cincinnati culturally are very similar. Very similar. Even down to, so in all the places I've lived in the country, these are the only two areas where I go to a party or you're in some form of social setting and you meet somebody for the first time and you're making that BS small talk that you always do. And you ask, all right, where'd you go to school? Everywhere else I've lived, a working professional college educated would say where they went to college. But in Cincinnati and in Delaware, even if you have a doctorate from Harvard, you're going to say, oh, I went to St. X. Or in Delaware, you're going to say, uh, I went to Sally's. Yeah. I went to Ursuline. Or, and there's an identity oh, yeah. that comes with that high school affiliation. Yeah. People can size you up immediately. All right, well, you're probably into this, and your family's probably like that, and your means are probably like this, right. and you're into this, and exactly the same. And I, I think because of that, I lived in Delaware for 15 years. It the the I love it because I, I love Delaware. Delaware has that, that's why I tell people when I meet them, I would say before I moved here, I'm from Delaware. Right. I've lived there for 15 years. Um, and it, it's made the transition seamless because the, the two areas are incredibly similar. That's great. How do you have time? You are into pop culture as much as anyone I've ever seen, and particularly TV shows, funny TV shows, movies. How the heck do you have time for all this? You do these hours of research. You're a dad. You're a play-by-play guy. You do a multitude of things. You have gigs nationally with CBS, et cetera. How do you have time to watch TV? So a lot of my TV watching first came in the minors because we were on the bus. Yeah. You know, you we'd be on the bus for some of these trips were 10, 11 hours. And when I first got in the minor league baseball, first of all, in A-ball, there was one bus. Everybody was on one. And it was still the era of the DVD player. There's going to be one movie on. It's probably going to be an action film. It could be a comedy. It's going to be loud as heck. You cannot have a phone conversation. Right. And everyone's watching that movie. By the time I got to AAA, there are two buses. There's the quiet bus that most of the coaching staff is on, some of the older players, the guys that just are very chill. And then there's the party bus. (laughs) And uh, generally somebody in my role is, while you're you're trusted, you're still arm's length, you're media. You're like, you you go on there with the nerds over there. Yes, yes. And uh, and so, which I, I like to have a good time. I don't think I would do well on the party bus. No. Um, so it was smart for me to be on the quieter bus. And when you're on that bus, there, there is a DVD player. They don't use it. Everybody's on their own device. You know, mm-hmm. by 2013, everybody had their own tablet, phone. A bunch right. of guys would have PS4 units that were attached to monitors. They would plug in, yeah. and they would set up their own little LAN. Um, so what am I going to do for 10 hours? Like, I could do research. You know, there's Wi-Fi on the bus for you know, do my notes for three or four hours. I can't sleep. I cannot sleep on the bus or in a plane. I can't either. I can't sleep sitting up. It's it, There's been very few times that I can sleep. The only time I've ever slept on a plane is when I have all three seats. And I kind of, you know, I'm like 6'3", so I kind of wedge myself in there in the three seats. And I've fallen asleep that way. But I can't. I can't sleep. These other people that do it, I, I, I'm so amazed and I'm, I'm envious. I'm right there with you. And, uh, and, and that's really how it started. And it started then with everything being on DVD. You know, I was at first a Netflix guy, and then Blockbuster actually had a great deal going for a while where you could get two at once, you could return it in person to the Blockbuster, get another physical disc from them in the moment, and they'd mail the next one out to you. Um, And I just burned through TV shows doing that. And that's kind of what started it. And then when I was home, 
I was looking for something to do with my wife. Uh, this is before we had our child that we could kind of share in the experience. Yeah. So we would choose shows to watch together. And that would be one of the things we would do for, you know, one episode a day or whatever. Yeah. Um, but that's really where it started. And, uh, and you know, right now, my family's still out east. Our daughter only just finished second grade on Tuesday. My wife is still working for another week or two. Um, so that I have even more time. I mean, it, especially once what's helped a ton is once we see the same teams more than once. You know, yeah. you get the third Cardinal series, the fourth Cardinal right. series. I don't have to spend nearly as much time. I'm just updating little nuggets. I don't right. have to do that same deep dive. Yeah, absolutely. Now, for you real, you youngsters out there, when he said blockbuster, we're not talking about a blockbuster trade. Just Google blockbuster <laughs> video. Because <laughs> there used to be a thing where you had to go physically get the disc or the VHS tape in my era. Um, so, yeah, it's a little different. All right, let's talk pop culture here. You you. If you're going to list your top shows, what do you got? All time? All time. Um, all time. I loved The Wire. I Great loved... show. Great show. Oh, McNulty. Oh. Omar. Oh, um, yeah. Just a gr- And I was late to the party on The Wire. I was too. I was late. I, I watched it later. I did not watch it when it was out. And, you know, I, I should add one other detail is that part of the reason also how I got exposed to some of these shows is the other announcers that were in the minors because they yeah. were going through the same circumstances. Yeah. So we would wind up talking about like, oh, have you seen this series? Oh, this yeah. series is amazing. And then a bunch of us in the same league would start watching at the same time so that when we're in each town with each other, we can have open conversations and not worry about the other one not having seen right. it. Um, yeah, and that's that came about as a suggestion from another announcer uh, that – Opened my eyes to a oh, I was late world. to the party. I don't know why. I thought it was like a prison, a series about prison. Oz was, which I, was on right I got him mistaken. I, I thought Oz was the wire for some reason and forever. And then when I started watching, I'm like, how did I miss this show? This might be my favorite of all time. This is unbelievably good. Yeah, it's that's definitely on my, my Mount Rushmore. Um, Battlestar Galactica's on there. Wow. The, the most recent oh, one was excellent. The, uh, the, the, the pilot made-for-TV movie is sensational. Yeah. The writing is just incredibly good. Um, you know, I, I love uh, The Office and Parks and Rec, both sensational. I've, I've re-watched each multiple times. Um, uh, You're a South Park guy, I know, right? I do, li- I do like South Park. Uh, I, I love The Simpsons. Family Guy and South Park. There's no reason why you can't like all of them. Yes. There are people who are in some camp. It's it so is. stupid. It is. really is. Yeah. <laughs> I thought South Park is a show that was amazing and groundbreaking. I was in college when I, I remember watching like the short about you know, Jesus and Santa fighting. And it was just, it was like hysterical. And, uh, and it was irreverent and very vulgar and crass, but still had some, you know, smarts to it. And then it did, in my opinion, it kind of petered out. I stopped watching. And then they found a way to turn around the shows so fast that they were hitting super topical ideas. And I don't know how it'll hold up for repeat viewing years and years from now, but it got great again. Yeah. No, it really did because they started – and they're really good at at what's going on 
then in society to mix that in. Uh, they're just, uh, I mean, the brilliance of the writing is is fantastic. It, it got a lot smarter. Yeah. A lot smarter. Yeah. I mean, Simpsons did too. You know, Simpsons was pretty sophomoric and it was really centered around Bart, you know, and Calabunga and Don't Have a Cowman. And I loved it. And, you know, I, I watched it on TV when it first yeah. came on. It was Tracy Ullman and then when it, it got a standalone spot. And then they shifted the focus to Homer. And then it got a lot smarter. And the people that wrote on that show are next level amazing. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It really is. Who were your, uh, I'm going all around here, but who were the announcers you really liked? Uh, I love Marv. You know, I, I grew up a yes! Knicks Rangers fan. Yeah. Um, so I thought Marv was excellent. I loved watching him, the NBA on NBC. And um, I love Bob Costas uh, because he was so smart. And he had a, a, a command of the language and a way to. He uh, really ticks me off. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, how can someone be so polished and so smart and so good? The the crazy thing so about, versatile about him is like I hear the secondhand stories about when particularly when he would anchor for the Olympics yeah. and you're dealing with all these pronunciation difficulties and sports with these weird rules and and he with very minimal help or notes from others would just kind of on the fly nail it constant that's I don't think the listener can totally understand or appreciate it's it's not roofing it's not hard in that sense it's yeah. not physically grinding in that right. same meant but it is hard to do that kind of a job that well. You can yeah. do it okay, right. but to do it well, you that guy's skilled. He's really good. There's no, has he ever stumbled? Never heard it. Have you ever heard him heard stumble? It. <laughs> it, maybe. But <laughs> I mean, I, I do it all the time. <laughs> I got to read a promo. I'm like, blah, blah, blah. sorry, first day with the new tongue. And he's like, I don't think I've ever seen him mess up. Yeah, the uh, I mean, and there were guys that I just loved listening to. I mean, I love listening to Phil Rizzuto, yeah. just because he's Phil Rizzuto. You know, like yeah. Don Mattingly's up, the bases are loaded, Yanks are down. You know, three. He hits a grand slam into the upper deck, and he's telling a story about the you know a steak sandwich with peppers. And so I was down on Fifty Third Street, and there's a fly ball to deep left field that's gone <laughs> Yanks lead. So the peppers, you gotta go. You gotta ask for the red pepper. And <laughs> love that. And I, I just, I, I adored it. But the, the guy that I probably, um, before I decided I wanted to embark upon the path, the guy whose job I love the idea of was a guy named Al Troutwig, who oh, works, yeah. works nationally doing mm -hmm. uh, gymnastics on the Olympics. Um, Al, when MSG Network, Madison it's Square Garden Network. Too, right? Yes. He would all, yes. But he would, uh, he would work on the New York Rangers, yeah. the New York Knicks, mm -hmm. and the New York Yankees. We're all on that network, plus studio programming for the New York Giants and Jets. And he got to cover all the teams. Yeah. And he did some play-by-play -play with the Yanks. Very talented. Very and, versatile. Uh, and I just thought, like, that's so cool. Like He gets yeah. to be around all of my favorite teams. Right. Like, and, and that was part of my inspiration for well, – I love baseball. And mm -hmm. baseball is my first sports love. But at the same time, I like other sports too. There are positives to, to football. There are positives to basketball that, that baseball doesn't possess. And I love being able to experience those rhythms and cadences, and even more so now as an announcer, calling each of those sports, particularly TV versus radio, the skill set, the preparation, the execution, it's the same job title, but they're all very different. Very much so. 
Phil Rizzuto, did you you know the WW and the scorebook stories? Wasn't watching. <laughs> I just love that. I mean, that's just, hey, Phil, what what did such and such do in the second? WW wasn't watching. I mean, how good is that? He puts WW in his scorebook. He would leave games. He was terrified of thunderstorms. Yes. And it was like a running gag. They would show the GW like, oh, there's Phil. He's driving home in the fifth inning. We're in a rain delay. Oh, man, I love it. Which sport is the hardest to call for you? Um, I think the hardest to do well is baseball on the radio. Yeah. Uh, because it's so much of it is you. You know, yeah. most of the other sports, there are challenges with sports that are super fast, like a, a hurry-up offense, the Chip Kelly, Oregon football team. I did a game of theirs against Michigan State. That was really challenging. They rotate so many players. Right. Um, the uh, hockey can be challenging in that same way. Very challenging. Uh, but to me, the hardest, you can eventually build to a point where that's not as hard if you yeah. practice at it. Um, baseball on the radio is... 15 minutes bald and play action and the rest is you oh yeah and that's such a blank canvas and it's a great opportunity but it's also an immeasurable challenge mm -hmm. to do it every single day i i think it's the hardest to do well tv is a i mean it's it's pretty close baseball tv and radio i mean it's it's very similar, although you lean on your color guy a lot more on TV. Yeah, it's I, I think, you know, and also you know, we're blessed in Cincinnati that Jeff Brantley is the, the radio analyst. Mm -hmm. Most Major League Baseball teams, you got two play-by-play -play guys. Right. Very few travel a, a highly mm -hmm. skilled former player, coach, right. manager in, to, to handle that role. Um, so, yeah, I, I think on TV, because you do have an analyst who – I, I would think all of them played at the highest level. I, I can't readily think of one that, that wasn't a regular major league player that's the lead analyst on a major league telecast. Right. And the support structure of, you know, TV is a team sport, you know? We have a guy like you who can bring your experience and knowledge and your humor so and your storytelling. so viewers. <laughs> This guy, you know you're listening to this podcast that you love Jim Day as much as me, and it's a self-deprecation that endears him well, to us all Well, that's another thing that we have in common because you're very self-deprecating as well. I mean, I'm self-deprecating because, I mean, honestly, look at me. You get it, right? <laughs> but you're also very self-deprecating on the air. Like, I might take it to the extreme sometimes. People are like, all right, shut up. Okay, we know. You get it. But um, it kind of makes you human, though. It does. I mean, I think, uh, I think number one, that's just kind of what life in my house was like. You know, like our our dad was always oh, yeah. poking at us. I mean, the, I was the young. I'm the youngest of five. He still killed. <laughs> he still to this day will bring up. I had a history report in like fourth grade or whatever, and it was uh, studying like the Viking era and Eric the Red. Um, and there was also. Uh, man Eric Davis? Of, uh, <laughs> not, 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 not that man. I know. When you Different say kind Eric, of power and speed. When you say Eric the Red in these parts, you're like, oh, Eric Davis. So there's Eric the Red, and there's also Leif Erickson, two totally separate people. Well, I blurred them together in rehashing part of my story to my dad is Eric the Leaf. And he will still bring that up. Really? I was like eight years old. Like, how's Eric the Leaf doing? <laughs> so that it's easiest good. when you can bring it up yourself yeah. and poke fun at yourself first. Yeah. And, uh, and, and to show people that, you know, like, uh, I'm a, just a person. You know, yeah. and, and, um, 
I, I also think in the clubhouse life, and you know this way better than I do. I mean, you've lived it. The major league clubhouse to me is way different than what I've largely I vaguely remember it. <laughs> we got to get you back in there. Don't get me going, but goodness gracious! But it's it's to to the outsider to the to the uh, undoctrinated. It's rough. Yeah. And the truth is, it's not. The more you're there and the more you wear it and the more you show you can give it back and, and you ride that right line and you're respectful about it, but you stand up for yourself, it actually is a, a very welcoming, fun, awesome place. Oh, yeah. But to the outsider that watches one interaction, you know, it can look – and you kind of need to be that way. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. No, it's every time I walk in the clubhouse, there's certain guys that will give it to me, and it's, it's just great. I mean, it took years for – them to feel comfortable with me you know i mean just beat it nerd all the time I, I hear that all the time but i miss the clubhouse john you've got me all sentimental now i know <laughs> these tissues that bg is. delivered for <laughs> us actually are probably he's <laughs> slaw before we sat down <laughs> put some tissues in here because there have been people known to cry and i thought maybe you were going there when you talked about your daughter putting you know hands on your face and uh I want you to be home more. You even got me a little bit there. Goodness gracious. <laughs> we also have in common very uh, very much dog people yes. and the losing of a pet. I know we have both, like when Amir Garrett's uh, dozer passed away recently, we were both like teary-eyed. It's not even our dog. It's yeah. just, it's just uh, one of those things. But you got me sentimental about the clubhouse. Maybe one day, John, we'll get back <laughs> in that clubhouse, travel with the team, maybe. Someone someday. I pray. We do pray. Let me ask you this question because we're we're coming up against it, and uh, wow, we're we're an hour in. <laughs> I've asked you like three questions. What a guest you are! <laughs> he goes on and on and on. And on. <laughs> we love it. Um, and you got to do your this little TV open. Yeah, you got to be a TV star tonight. Uh, this has been fun though. Uh, when we have to do it again, I, I say this to literally every guest, but we have to do this again because. We didn't. I didn't cover all the areas I want to cover because you're a great guest because you give lengthy answers, which is fantastic and great. And hopefully we have many years of working together. I have my fingers crossed on that one right now, folks. Uh, and we'll be able to do this more often. And I can't wait to get to know you more. And uh, you're terrific to work with. And I, I've been very impressed. And I, I just hope that it's many years to come, I hope. Well, likewise. And uh, thank you for being so warm and welcoming. And uh, it, it means a lot. Uh, for your friendship and uh, and to be able to call you a, a colleague and a co-worker and to be in this room of such fine cheeses. <laughs> I mean, folks, the the there silk nothing in here. The silk on this couch is next level. What about my king's throne chair? No, there's nothing going on here. This is just a people think uh, this is like you're like a third or fourth person now. <laughs> They literally think I'm in a palace. This is a just a common office. It just happens to have windows. Yeah, he says it's not a scepter. He says it's a microphone, but believe me, the jewels would say otherwise. I mean, look at the TV on the wall. What's that? It's not even, you know. It's 75? No. It's like 20-inch TV. It's barely HD, which is good for me. I look better on that one right there. I'm there with you. But thank you, my friend. Uh, lots of luck, and we will certainly have you back.
Thank you. That is John Sadek. Where can they check you out on social media, by the way? Or where, where can he harass you on social media? Where, where you uh, Twitter, at John Sadak, all one word. J-O-H-N-S-A-D-A-K. John Sadak, everyone. The television play-by-play voice of your Cincinnati Reds on Bally Sports Ohio. So uh, harass him on social media, would you? Tell him that you loved him on the podcast, because we need all the promotion that we can get. You can check me out on Twitter and Instagram, at Jim Day TV. And thanks for hanging out with us. Once again, it is the Jim Day Podcast, and we will see you next time, everyone. So long.